A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Wheel of Time podcast, where the Lorehounds, your guides to all things Randland. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our podcast for the Wheel of Time on Prime Video. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Dr. Michael Livingston about his new book, Origins of the Wheel of Time, as well as introducing our plans for covering the Wheel of Time once Amazon gets us a release date. Before we get started, here's a quick reminder that you can send feedback to WOT at thelorehounds.com. Or if you want to talk Wheel of Time with us sooner, head over to the Bald Move Discord server. Link is in the description below and at baldmove.com. If you're enjoying our coverage of Wheel of Time or any of the other shows we've been covering and you would like to support us directly, head over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. For just $3 a month, you can subscribe today and get early and ad-free access to every one of our podcasts. Another quick ask. If you have a minute, please help us play the long game on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get recognized by more people, which helps us make more podcasts. Now, David, before we get into the Wheel of Time, why don't we talk about some programming notes? Sounds good. First up, next Wednesday, we're going to be covering the finale of Mike White's masterpiece, The White Lotus Season 2. Then on Monday, December 19th, we'll be launching our new occasional podcast, MC Universe to talk Black Panther and the end of Phase 4 and what to expect with the coming of Phase 5. Very cool. Well, David, we've got a lot more coming from the Lorehounds this month, but we'll tell you more about that at the close of the show. For now, why don't we talk about what our plans are for the Wheel of Time coverage? Sounds good. Yeah, we have we were expecting, I think, Season 1 to drop uh, initially this year, but then it was the big battle between uh, House of the Dragon and uh, Rings of Power, and it seems like Amazon is delaying the announcement of when they're going to start season two. So we've got plans for season two. So the plan is to do full coverage of season two, 
where we do the same thing that we do for all these shows we've done lately, which is we do some themes, we do some background research maybe, and then we get into a full episode recap and listener feedback. And I'm really excited to talk about this stuff. Wheel of Time is a huge passion for me. I've read all the books. I've read some of them twice. Uh, I'm probably going to read them again more before it comes out. So really excited to get into this with you, David. And then for season one, I know we have a little bit of uncertainty for that because it depends on what coverage looks like next year. We're waiting to see if we're going to be covering certain shows. If it works out on the schedule, we'll go back and cover season one uh, fully. But if not, then we'll do at least a recap. Yeah. And we have both um, seen season one a couple of times, and we've got some stuff on the cutting room floor that we recorded pretty early on in our podcast careers. I don't know. Maybe we'll release that someday as a, <laughs> a crazy Patreon <laughs> release or something. It's pretty horrible. I had COVID during that recording. <laughs> That's I true. I literally That's had right. COVID. Right. It, was, it was not a good recording. <laughs> so yeah, so whether once we know what Amazon's going to do, it would be great to have a full season one back catalog in coverage, but that takes a lot of time and it doesn't get a lot of uh, traction for us generally. So it's really just a question of like what we've got going on and when Amazon actually gives us a date. But I wouldn't mind doing a, a full season um, episode by episode recap, but I guess we'll just have to see. Yeah, me either. And it will be a much bigger joy to go through those episodes with this new book in hand that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, uh, because yeah. this new book by Michael Livingston, I just can't get enough of it. It is called Origins of the Wheel of Time. It is a reference book and sort of a history book on how Jordan, Robert Jordan, the author of the Wheel of Time, approached the writing of this world and the world building. It's so cool. And this, this professor is just fascinating. He's really into all this stuff. He uh, is into linguistics as well. He's an expert on Tolkien. He's an expert on Jordan. And I hope that you'll stick around to hear what he has to say today. Yeah, I had a really good time talking with him, and I hope we can talk with him more once the uh, season gets started. I remember when I heard uh, on another podcast, he was uh, interviewed and uh, I texted you, or I, I Discord messaged you, and I said, oh, do you know about this book? And, he, and you were like, yeah, I've already got it on pre-order. <laughs> yep. So it's on my Bald Move Secret Santa wish list. So by the time this comes out, I may or may not have uh, gotten that gift. So we'll see. But yeah, it looks like a very cool book. I'm excited to um, get it myself. I'll, if, if I don't get it uh, on the Secret Santa gift exchange, then uh, I'll, I'll probably just buy a, a copy myself. But it looks great. And, and for somebody who like me, who is n a non-book reader, I think it'll be kind of nice to use as a companion guide as we're going through, where I can just sort of um, pick out little bits of information. I'm not too worried about spoilers for myself. Mm -hmm. So it'll be fun for me to pick through some of this information that he's compiled about the the real world historical references that fed into Jordan's um, constructing uh, all of the mythology for Wheel of Time, um, and I think that's really cool because taking inspiration from the real world, like there's no more weirder and wilder stuff. You can't imagine stuff, you know, that has really gone on in real life. Like you just can't believe the kinds of crazy things that are contained in human history, and I think it's cool. I've been enjoying learning more about Jordan and his process, about how he was so inspired by human history, and then he wove all of this stuff into his stories. You do like your weaves, and that's a big part of the Wheel of I Time. Do. So this is the series for you, David. Yes, absolutely. I am. I'm, I'm like, I'm totally into the weaving thing now, aren't I? Are you going to start quilting? 
No, <laughs> I hope not. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Find out on Second Breakfast if David has started <laughs> quilting. Uh, you'll have to be a patron to learn that. But uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this more. Uh, we already did our interview. We're recording this later, and it was just such an excellent interview, and I hope everyone takes the time to listen. Yeah, absolutely. It was a cool thing, and, and fingers crossed we'll have uh, Dr. Livingston back again in the not-too-distant future. Very cool. When we get back, we will have Dr. Livingston. Okay, with us today is Dr. Michael Livingston of The Citadel, author of Origins of the Wheel of Time. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I just read your book this week. It was excellent, and I'm really excited to dig into this with you. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Yeah, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of The Wheel of Time. I had to convince David to to cover the series with me. We we generally cover TV over here, um, but but I, I'm a big fan of the Wheel of Time books. Of course, season one was a little shaky um, compared to the books, which you know I, I think are are great all the way through. So we're excited for we season two. And in the interim, before season two starts, we're digging a little deeper into the books here. And so we wanted to hear all about your new book. It came out uh, November eighth. And uh, it's available now wherever you get your books. And we'll drop a link to uh, Michael's website in the description. So, Michael, if you could tell us, what was your inspiration behind Origins? Uh, so, great question. This is a book that is, uh, I like to kind of say, outworld focus as opposed to in-world focus. So, one of the great things about The Wheel of Time is its, is its depth, right? It's, its complexity, uh, the depth of the cultures, the histories that he's built. Um, you know, the amazing family trees, all this stuff. It's so expansive and, uh, and kind of realized, you know, which makes sense. It's like 4.4 million words or whatever it is, you know, like it's, it's a lot. And, right. and so it has this amazing, amazing kind of in-world quality. And we've had great resources for that. The, uh, the Wheel of Time Companion, for instance, um, the uh, World of Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time, uh, called The White Book. Uh, that, that sort of detail that that material, but one of the things that's interesting about about Jordan is the way that he used our world to create that. And uh, you know, this is something that I've always gravitated towards. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a historian and a you know literary specialist of of the medieval world. Uh, you know, cut my teeth on Tolkien, and this is something Tolkien did, kind of looking backwards. And has been, you know, kind of really, really, uh, you know, kind of shaped Tolkien studies is this idea of how he's using the past. And I've, I've written on that and gone to the Tolkien archives and all that. And, you know, Jordan's doing the same kind of thing. And nobody was 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 talking about it in a, uh, in a sort of gathered up kind of academic, like, you know, let's like really show this to people. There, there are websites, there's some amazing websites that have talked about this. And I've done lectures over the years. But uh, never had kind of been pulled all together into one sort of you know, public facing. Here's what he was doing. So, uh, so I, I, I was kind of you know picked to do this, and uh, it was it was an amazing amazing thing to do. Yeah, you know, you, you mentioned you were picked to do this. I know the team Jordan was very involved. They they hand selected you to dig into this work. Uh, how was it wor working with Harriet McDougall? I, you know, an absolute honor. I mean, you know, Harriet is, 
one of the greatest Sorry, who is Harriet? Harriet is the widow of Robert Jordan. Oh, okay. was actually first his editor. <laughs> right. And one of the greatest science fiction and fantasy editors kind of of all time. I mean, this is she edited Ender's Game, like among a, a plethora of amazing works. And uh, so, yeah, getting to work with her was amazing. So was she an editor in her own right before she married Jordan? Yes. Yes. Got it. Okay. She nice. was she was his editor and then And then they got married. And then they got married. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> she's she's the uh the kind of founding editor of Tor books. And and that's how they sort of got to know each other. Uh and I go cool. I go through the entire kind of uh, a, I mean it's a it's a beautiful love story uh of the two of them and I, I go through that in my biography of uh of Jordan that, that kind of starts the book. Uh, because it, it is so integral then to the creation of the wheel of time is kind of Harriet's sort of force behind this. And I wanted to highlight that for people. And so, yeah, the, the opportunity to work with, uh, you know, work with her to get edits from her, uh, you know, that was, that was crazy. Right. You know, to get like her hand edits on pages. I'm like, my God, she edited Ender's game. Like, and she's editing my stuff. Like what is going on? And and Did you get all fanboy. Yeah, I was totally fanboy. Uh, I, I fanboyed constantly in the making of this. I mean, to be given full access to all the notes, all like everything that he had touched, and everyone. Right? You know, do you want to talk to to Tom Doherty of Tor Books? Yeah, here you go. You know, do you want to talk to Brandon Sanderson? Here you go. You want to talk to like it was just, and you know, <laughs> here's the call list. Who do you want to talk to? What do you want to see? Uh, and then to have the the kind of the track of, of 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 Harriet and Team Jordan, his assistants, all to be able to say, you know, yeah, we think this is correct. Like, you know, yeah, this this is right. To help me feel like it, you know, uh, I'm not I'm not in kind of off on my own here, right? I've got all this authorization essentially behind me. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's fascinating because it seems like they sort of handed you the Christopher Tolkien keys, <laughs> whereas Christopher was, you know, given full access to his father's work after his passing and, and was able to do whatever he wanted with it. It seems like you've sort of gotten to take up that mantle a little bit with Jordan. Yeah, and, and that was very much kind of like the model. Again, I, you know, as an academic, I mean, I've published a lot on Tolkien and have some choice thoughts for Christopher, but um the uh 911 <laughs> <laughs> you can give us your hot takes here i mean uh, yeah, we're, 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 our mics are open yeah he uh anyway um don't don't speak don't speak ill of the of the past um yeah it was it was kind of like that i would say that there's a there's valid there's a there's a place for valid critique and criticism as opposed to Throwing fire and feces just for the sake of throwing fire and feces. So yeah, and I, I would never want know. to do that. I mean, I just, you know, I've having worked in the Tolkien archives and had to try and negotiate things and uh, stuff. There's like yes. a, you know, yeah, you, sensitivity. You, you went left. You should have gone right, and you went left for what I consider an invalid reasons. But um, interesting. But yeah, okay, it, it's uh, uh, it, it it was that kind of full access, and and the book I've got thousands of words unpublished words of jordan that uh 
you know, I mean, there, what a key difference that is, you know, with working in the Tolkien archives, you know, I, I have to sign all kinds of NDAs about what I've seen there. Um, and then to try and, and, and presenting that stuff for an academic audience, for a public audience, right? You know, like, here's this piece of information that would be really useful. Am I allowed to do that? Right. And then it goes to what well, used to go to Christopher, um, you know, and they're like, nope, can't ever tell us all. Like, no, you don't get to tell anybody. Uh, okay. Right. As opposed to here, you know, and you're like, this is a sentence. Like, I want to quote a sentence out of, out of a letter. Like, are you kidding? Why, why are you withholding this? It makes no sense. Like <laughs> right. people want to know who that character really is. And there's the smoking gun. And, and in this case, it was the complete opposite where I would say, you know, can I, can I quote this? Like in one case, I, I give like, I don't know how many words in a row it is. Right. But, a, uh, like a first draft of one of his, have one of the chapters of the first book, a huge chunk of it. And when I asked permission for that, I thought, Oh, there's no way they're going to let me give this whole chunk. Right. But I'll ask for the big chunk on the assumption that they'll be like, all right, we'll compromise here. <laughs> Instead, they're like, yeah, go ahead and do the whole chunk. Oh, okay. Uh, this is phenomenal. Uh, so the, the, the level of access and the freedom to, uh, I guess to kind of say what I felt needed to be said without, um, without there being somebody kind of watching over and saying, well, we don't want you to say that because we feel like that's going to make, you know, the estate look bad or, or whatever. I mean, not that I don't think there was anything like that, but, but it just never came. And, and, and that was such a, a wonderful experience as a researcher and a writer to feel like I was completely unfettered. Uh, that all I was getting was support. And, and if it was, if there was a correction or whatever, it was because it was a correction, right. As opposed to a no, no, like, we're not, we're not going to allow that, you know, it was like, no, no, I, here's this other piece of information, you know, which is exactly what you would want in a case like this. So yeah, it was, it was amazing. That's really great to hear. I mean, you can tell when you read it, how open Harriet and the rest of team Jordan were with the works. And how useful they were as a yes. as a boon rather than a blockade, and and that's really great to see. You know, when I was when I opened your book, I expected to find a lot of details, a lot of trivia um, that would be helpful to my reading of the Wheel of Time, to my coverage of the Wheel of Time. Uh, what I didn't expect to find was possibly the best defense of fantasy as an academic study that I've ever read. Uh, so so you you gave this really. Uh, excellent defense of of this as a field of speculative fiction, if you will, and of, of fantasy and magic as something that deserves to have its own attention by serious critics. Can you talk more about that? Happy to. Uh, happy to. So, when I was in graduate school, you, you know, fantasy was like that's that's not serious, right? You know, like that's not liter that's not literature, right? right? quote unquote, capital L. And, and that always really ticked me off. And at, like, while I was in graduate school, Tolkien studies started kind of like coalescing and being valid for at least kind of like part of the world, right? I mean, there's, there were still people that were like, no, 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 you know, nose in the air kind of thing. But, but Tolkien studies was kind of happening. And, and a large part of that due to like Tom Shippey, 
uh, you know, his amazing work, you know, Road to Middle Earth and Author of the Century. Uh, Tom's Tom's incredible, you know, and 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 sort of that paving of of the way was was amazing and great for Tolkien. But even so, uh, you know, I remember at the University of Rochester, I wanted to teach a a, a class for the undergraduates on Tolkien. And there was real resistance, you know, like, well, that's not real literature, right? I was actually, that's not real literature and nobody would take it anyway. And it's <laughs> like, they would. Uh, and also it's real, it's real literature, right? And, and finally, uh, finally got to teach that class uh, and it crashed the, crashed the servers. <laughs> um, people trying to, trying to roll up for it. That's and awesome. they hadn't put a cap on the class. So <laughs> They had thought, well, maybe he'll the class will make with ten, you know, whatever, and end up being a hundred students, like in an auditorium. Like it was just bonkers. <laughs> which I was like, I told you, right? And you know, and then when I came to the Citadel, which was Jordan's alma mater, is that the Citadel, the military academy in the Carolinas? Yes, the military college of South Carolina. Right. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, and there was kind of a you know like uh, you know is is the wheel of time. It was just like Tolkien had been, you know, like 20 years earlier kind of thing. The same thing. And it really bothered me. And then when, when Jordan was going to be inducted into the South Carolina Academy of Authors, and he had, he had just died, uh, fortunately, he knew that he had, had been awarded this uh, before his death, um, but, but the induction had not taken place. And the induction took place on my campus, and and I was asked. They said, "Well, can can you talk? Because you know his work. Your professor, you know, and your professor here. That'll all look really good. Would you be willing to do that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, of course. I mean, you're kidding. I, I, you know, I'll talk about him to anybody anywhere. Sure." And uh, and then somebody told me, and I don't know if this is true, but somebody said. You know, there are some people that aren't really sure, you know, South Carolina Academy of Authors is, you know, sort of has a literary uh, acknowledgement to it, right? And, and you know, does this really count because it's fantasy? And I don't know if that's true, but I was told that there had been this, like, well, well, he did sell, you know, at that point, 40 million books or whatever. Nah, you know, I guess we can't. <laughs> so I, I took that speech as an opportunity to 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 have a def- yeah to make a defense you know like this is 100% literature right if you if you're saying fantasy isn't literature like you just threw out homer you just threw out beowulf you just threw it like do you want to know what you just burned down you idiots you know like and again i i really don't know if there are people in that place who felt that way but but that's do you think that that's uh something that's related between antiquity and modernism well it's modern, therefore, it, and it hasn't stood the test of time, whereas Homer is uh, antiquity, and therefore... I, you know, I think, there's, I think there's this bizarre separation mm-hmm. that happens where, where yeah, you're allowed to, it's allowed to be fantastic if it's back then, right? but not now. But it can be fantastic now if you don't call it, like, call it magic realism, and now it's okay. Right, right. <laughs> right? And like, what? Like, I'm, like, what now? I'm sorry? That's still a fantasy like that's a, you've labeled it different right. i don't know what's going on um did you actually did you actually read borges or not because it's fantasy <laughs> um so so yeah i mean 
there is something to that, you know, that like, oh, it's okay to talk about monsters if it's ancient or medieval. Uh, we don't do that anymore, except we do do that still, but in this category. And so now it counts. And then, I thought, you know, and, and I just have no patience for that. Frankly. Can I chase for a second this idea, too, of, okay, you know, fantasy as literature, cool, science fiction as literature, dot, 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 question mark. And then what's the difference between science fiction and fantasy? Are we doing the same things? Or where, what's the folk or the, the pivot point between science fiction and fantasy? I don't see one. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really don't see one. Um, all these things are, are ideas of spectrum. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, you know, the heart of darkness did not happen. Like, on a pretty basic level, it's a fantasy, right? He made that You're up. You're talking right? about Conrad. Up, yeah, Joseph right, Conrad, yeah. right? You know, I mean, it, it, he made that up. Like, that's not real. Right. Uh, Lord of the Flies, not real. Like, made the whole thing up. Like, so just, it, it's like a spectrum of how much are you making up, right? How much are you making up? Well, now I'm making up the landscape, right? Now I'm making up the technology. Now I'm making up, all right, well, we're just, we're just moving that line. It's not really substantially a different thing. Now there's, there's not to, not to say the categories are not like utilitarian in a functional way, right? It is useful if you really like this kind of thing to have a category for for that flavor of it right? classical like, versus like, jazz like you you hear it you know right. that there's a difference there right and if you're interested in jazz like like go there, right right and you're like well i really like jazz fusion All right, well okay that's this category right. like and if you like that you're probably gonna like this that's that's utilitarian right but it's all music so you know yeah that one that one's got a little bit more of this this one's got a little bit more of that all right and so this like gatekeeping of you know well if you're making up this bit then it doesn't count i i'm i'm just like you have no leg to stand on there's no right. there's no logic to this this is just you like like leveraging your own biases to try and like make the world you and i and i just i have no patience for that right. so so yeah i i gave that speech in inducting i i mean not in, like as part of the induction ceremony um, and, uh, and it was, well, it was well-received, um, hardest speech I've ever given in my life. I've said this numerous times. Wow. Um, you know, because he had just died. Harry was front row, right in front of the podium. And, uh, you know, I've given speeches to, I mean, to hundreds of people at a time, like, I'm like, whatever. But man, I was like, I can't look at her cause I'll break. Right. Cause I, cause you could just see the, all the emotions she was like holding in and stuff. And it was just like, I can't, I can't look at her. I won't be able to keep cool. And so I, and I've of course apologized to her numerous times since like, I'm so sorry. I'm giving that speech. I could not look at you. I was talking to you, but I couldn't look at you because like it was this huge group of people and I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Um, she was like, it's okay. I was crying. <laughs> uh, fair enough. So, uh, so yeah, I basically took like that speech and the idea of it and yeah, I incorporated it into the, into the text of this to, to, you know, to kind of, again, like, you know, make this, make this okay, you know, just to say, this is, this is an okay thing. Like you can love this. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm like, on the one hand, I'm like, why do you, why the hell do you need me to tell you it's okay? Right. You shouldn't, but. <laughs> But I also know from from experience that it does matter. 
people, right? There is a kind of, you know, this professor said that it's okay. And, and, and there's a relief to that. And, you know, you know, it's, I would say like you, <laughs> like you don't need me to tell you something's okay, but, but if it, if it helps, like, awesome, it's okay. You know, like it's right. good stuff and be, be happy with it. Love it. Study it. Like, you know, treat it as Homer, like go for it. Uh, there's no reason not to do that. Right. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you, you thought it, that defense was, was good. Um, it certainly came from the heart from my side. No, you could tell, you could tell reading the book. I was reading the section on, and, and actually let's take a, a step back quickly and talk about the structure of your book, because this was something okay. that I was not sure what it was going to be going in. And what I found was it was sort of half this prose based, uh, background story, a breakdown of, of Jordan's uh, writing technique. It even has a full chapter on Tolkien and Jordan, which was really excellent and and something that comes up a lot because of the similarities between the Eye of the World and the Lord of the Rings. I have it in my notes right here. <laughs> question mark. <laughs> Tolkien, Jordan, question mark, question mark. Right. But, but as you point out, Jordan sort of takes what Tolkien did and went a step farther. And what I want to know is, how did you go about deconstructing Jordan's writing process to the point where you get to these Arthurian legends that you mentioned and to the point where you can sort of compare and contrast with Tolkien in such detail? I, by careful step, the, you know, this was the thing that, one of the things that drew me to Jordan in the first place. You know, when I was 15 years old and picked up by the world first time, uh, and even in the, the prologue, you get these the, the one I always mention to people, because I, I think it's fairly recognizable, uh, you know, as a reference to the gates of Peron Descent. And I'm like, at the age of 15, I was like, that's the gates of paradise, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I, I feel like he's up to something. And and that kind of drew me in, because I'm I'm somebody who likes, you know, puzzles. And, and um, you know, it's one of the things I love in my, being a, a medieval military historian, right? The you know, what happened at the Battle of Agincourt? I mean, that's a puzzle, right? You know, I've got clues, pieces, and then I try and coalesce them into a complete picture. And so that, the, the idea that that was something that was happening within these books captivated me. And for years, I've been like, like sort of doing this in my, in my spare time, as it were. And then giving lectures about kind of what I was seeing uh, at Jordan Con, the uh, uh, convention dedicated to Jordan, at Dragon Con, you know, like, you know, getting in front of people and, you know, here's what I think he's up to. And obviously seeing, you know, what Shippy and others, you know, had done with Tolkien and, you know, the kind of writing that I was doing with Tolkien, uh, talking about his influences and how he was building things. So, like, I had a lot of that kind of apparatus already in mind and a lot of those pieces of the puzzle. And, and he had given a lot of interviews as well, where he would say, you know, somebody would write and say, you know, well, I, this looks kind of Arthurian. And he'd be like, yeah, uh, <laughs> sure is. Like, <laughs> right. well done. And so I, I already had all that in mind. And that was the, like, this is what the book is going to be. But then being given full access to the notes, you know, there were notes that were like, uh, and, I, and of course, I talk about many of them in the book. You know, they were like, this character equals that character. Like, this character equals that character. Like, 
And I don't know, well, it's pretty good, a smoking gun. Uh, I like that. So, so you could, you could see in his process how he would do this. And then that allowed me in the, uh, in the, the second half of the book, first half of the book, as you said, I've got a biography of Jordan, a kind of comparison between him and Tolkien, and not comparison, like one is better than the other, but just like a right. kind of setting them together. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is Tolkien's methods. Here's how Jordan kind of built on that, on that model. Uh, and then I've got a chapter of of his Jordan's writing process, going through the notes, going through like this was the first seed, right? Then he layers in this, then he layers in this. Here's all the drafts and, and things to to walk people through that. And then the second half of the book is a glossary of people, places, items, events that sort of say like this is where he got it. The way the wheel of time works, it's it's rarely just one thing. Right. right. Um, you know, Randolph or is, is, doesn't equal King Arthur. Like, like that's a piece of that puzzle. Right. And, and so, yeah, I had all that stuff and to have the notes kind of confirming a lot of that. And then, and then from that kind of like reverse engineer, like this is his process. This is how he did it. And I know he did it here, 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 here. What happens if I put that in place here? Oh, I get this. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's what he did. Right. Um, it's really, I guess part of the reason I like the Tolkien comp or, you know, you can find the language behind languages, right? Linguistic methodologies. Some of the Tolkien was fascinated with in philology and, and you can do the same thing with stories. And that's of course what Lord of the Rings is, you know, the story behind stories you know, Jordan's doing the same thing. And so it, it, uh, once you see his method in place, it's pretty easy to start spotting it everywhere. And by no means is this book, the totality of this, it is like the tip of the iceberg (laughs) uh, of of that, of this happening because he does it all over the place. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Now, you mentioned philology. You've described philology in the book in a way that I had not thought of it before, because everyone associates it with language because of who Tolkien was, about the courses he taught, uh, the writings he did outside the Lord of the Rings. And you've sort of expanded it to this love of learning, this this broader thing where it, it includes things like histories and cultures and, and myth. Um, and then you apply that in a way that makes this glossary make a lot more sense. Because if I think, I think if I started with the glossary, it would be useful in giving me trivia, but it would not fully be, it would not allow me to fully trace Jordan's mind the way that you have throughout the book. But the way that you've laid out the glossary after this really helps to, uh, to lead the reader down the path of Jordan's reverse engineering, as you put it. Yeah, and of course that was very deliberate. Mm-hmm. You know, I I know that many people are going to come to the book and are going to go straight to the glossary for particular things, right? right? I mean, I know many many people are like, I'm first thing I'm doing is finding out who <laughs> Nakomi is. I'm going to that entry, right? And that's and that's fine. Like that's live and let live. You know, you you ain't hurting anybody, baby. Go for it. 
Uh, That said, I I mean, I wrote it to be read like beginning to end because I I do think it's important to, you know, to establish who he is and how he worked and to establish this, this mindset of, of yes, stories, applying linguistic principles to story, which is something Tolkien did, right? I mean, philology means love of learning. That's literally what the word means. And yeah, it got sort of transposed, uh, you know, into, into linguistics. You know, because that's where it starts with, you know, Sanskrit and the commonalities with, with Greek and Latin, uh-huh. um, you know, back in the day. But certain, certainly Tolkien is trying to, uh, to view this in story terms. And, and Jordan is just like, yeah, man, <laughs> going to go down that rabbit hole. And, and then adds into it, uh, you know, other, other writers like uh, Robert Graves, White Goddess, uh, and what he's doing, which is, again, kind of similar. So, ideally... From my point of view, a, a reading of the book in which you you get through those those first chapters, hopefully it's not like through like it was hard to do, but I think that you do those before you get into the glossary. Yeah, the glossary will make more sense because now you can see this is how he did it. And I'm just giving you like the final like result of that for, for each entry, right? I don't right. trace the entire process in that entry. The book will be too bloody big. But, you know, to say, like, like these connect, and you know why, because you know what the process is. Right? Um, so, so yeah, that, it certainly is kind of meant to read that way. But, I mean, if anybody's listening and wants to do it elsewhere, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I definitely agree with you. It, it makes more sense going front to back. Uh, so, yeah. And, and it's, it's it very interesting because it does feel like sort of two volumes of a book there. Uh, where where uh, another author might have split this into two books, but it, they pair so well together that I'm glad that you put this together here. So, yeah. my question, and, and as our our listeners know, I'm I'm an un, uninitiated in the world of Jordan, other than seeing season one on Amazon. It sounds like I could read the first part of the book to understand who Jordan was as an author and and sort of these wider contexts. And then I could use the second half, the the glossary part, as I'm watching, so that I can deconstruct certain elements. Uh, and I'm asking as a specific use case, as a, somebody who has not seen anything but season one. Yeah, I mean, I, it's always a little bit hard for me to tell because, like, I know it all, right? But yeah, I don't want to like know it all, like I'm like I'm a know it all. But you right, know, right, I, yeah. I brought, you, you wrote the book, books, yeah. right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. But uh, I, you know, I think I think the first. I mean, one of the first things I say is, let's say, look, this is full spoilers. Like, because you can't, you can't really do this without talking about the entirety of the scope of things, right? So, yeah, like, you know, just for as an example, and I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it here, or whatever. But you know, even even if you're just watching the first show, uh, first season of the show, you know that there's a thing called the last battle that people are worried about. Like, I I talk about in the entries of the glossary. Yeah, I talk about the last battle and how that was constructed and the okay. historical stuff that's used. So in that sense, there's spoilers, obviously. Okay. Um, but the, the prose chapters, the first half of the book, there are spoilers in there in like certain elements of talking about like the drafts, right? You know, he, he originally planned for the series to kind of come together this way. That's not what happened, but that's kind of what he originally planned. I did try to, to keep that from being, too uh yeah too spoilerific 
So I do think you could you could basically do that, right? You could read the the first few chapters and get a really good sense of of what the Wheel of Time is about, um, what it is that Jordan was trying to do, how he was doing it, that could then inform what you're seeing on the screen. I mean, that's you know not to say that the 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 Rafe Jen- Jenkins and everybody else who was involved in that knew this stuff. I've got no idea. They never talked to me, so I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, they should. Um, <laughs> as far as i know they they never they've never accessed the notes or any of that stuff boop, boop, so, boop, 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 boop. hey um, jeff yeah get over <laughs> uh, have those guys talk to michael yeah um but 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 it's still like they're informed by the books and the books are informed by all this i mean i still think kind of like the pieces are there and it and it would, and it would be useful i think to hopefully i've done my work in uh in explaining to people even if they kind of didn't come in with a love of the wheel of time, why people find this amazing and what it is that, that Jordan was trying to do that has captivated people. So would you say that then when the discussions about the you know production for this book, was that the brief that you were brought or, or I don't know how the conversation is exactly flowed, but like, what's the purpose of this book or what was the brief? What was the, the the need in the marketplace for this book to be called for yeah i think the big one was that nobody had kind of really laid out this this kind of additional track so I, i you know i almost think about it as like the wheel of time is is a series it's not alone in this but it's to the depth that it is is pretty unique where you have kind of like one surface story and that surface story is fine. It's complete. It's totally great. But then you can like separate out another track, like another read of it, another understanding of it that is also complete. And those, and those two tracks are working simultaneously. It's like, it's like left and right channel. You know, they, they come together into this amazing stereo. But you can, but they 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 can be sort of tracked out, and for the most part, it, like uh, everybody's listening to one track, and it's a great track. Like like it's an amazing track. There's a reason this is sold. Yeah, I mean, at forty million copies or whatever the hell it's up to now. Like there's a reason. Uh, but hey, as much as you love this, I'm not saying you've been loving it wrong. I'm not saying that what you're doing but is yo check it order. out underneath here there's another but track yeah, going on yeah yeah check this out isn't that cool it's like something it, it's not like it's it's missing i i think this is a b- very bizarre analogy but like airplane wings have been working for a very very long time right and then suddenly you started seeing those little wing tips on the airplanes on the big jumbo jets yeah. and i was like oh this improves the wing the wing is fine but yo, this like adds this whole other thing of efficiency and safety and da 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 da. Yeah. So it it's flies like either way. It flies exactly. Either way. But exactly. this is isn't this nice that we this, have this? This now is too. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that yeah, same kind of thing, right? You know, cool. again, and I, I'm not saying. I mean, you can ignore this track. It's. Fine. I mean, I'd I'd love it if you didn't, because I'd like for you to buy my book. But <laughs> <laughs> in an like other like, there's no right or wrong way to fan like. You can love the wheel of time, completely ignore this. Great. Like, fine. But, uh, but I felt like, you know, when I was giving talks about Jordan and, and talking about this kind of a little bits, there was always this like, oh my God, you're kidding. Like what? And I was like, yeah, it's, 
you know, of course, initially I kind of felt like, like, isn't this how we all are reading? No, <laughs> like, oh, oh, wow. Like, let me share this. Let me share this. And so, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was definitely what I wanted to get across in the book was this, like a, a love of this thing. Some people call it like a love letter to the fans. And in some, like, like it is in, you know, in my heart, I'm like writing this for y'all. But, but yeah, I'm trying to sort of hopefully help people understand how, how awesome the wheel of time is <laughs> not to put too fine a point on it, but you know, like this is amazing stuff. I, I hope y'all can see that. Well, you know, if you find yourself listening to a podcast called the Lorehounds podcast, you probably do want that second layer. So I hope that you will <laughs> exactly. check out Michael's book here because this yeah. is probably your target audience. <laughs> I, I, well, yeah, well, hopefully. Uh, and, and it is, uh, you know, the people that kind of like love Tolkien and love it for this kind of this depth and these connective tissues that he makes on, which certainly is me. Um, you know, there's a reason that I've, I've written those articles, you know, about Tolkien and things. Uh, is because I'm fascinated by that, um, and uh, and yeah, this was like like Jordan was doing that too, right? And and and, and in a, a way that was respectful, I think, of Tolkien. He's using Tolkien, uh, isn't trying to hide that, right? You know, I mean, there are some authors I'll throw anybody on the bus, but like copied Tolkien and then like denied it, right? Right. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't, <laughs> Martin. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, and there, of course, there's people that have copied uh jordan and then have denied it right. uh you know no 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 i didn't copy that uh sure you didn't but uh yeah here where it's he's well aware and you know the first part of the eye of the world is is straight up tolkien right, right. and intentionally and it's like so intentionally he's like i'm gonna do that and then i'm gonna turn you when uh, when John convinced me to um check out wheel of time on amazon uh, i watched that first episode and i was just like oh my god this is so tolkien right like it was just screaming at me but i had no context that that's what he was doing that yes. there was some of that imbued of that spirit imbued into the book you know overtly into the books but then you know distilled into the first episode you can, you know you, you couldn't probably avoid that so and then once i got that then i was like okay settle down it's okay. Like, you know, this guy's doing something, hang with it and see what, see what it brings you. Yeah. And, it, and it's, and it's a difficult thing he tried to do, you know, where he thought, let me give you something that's comfortable, something you're used to, you know, we, we know kind of Tolkien, you know, works. We know we all love it. You know, he loved it. Um, let me give you that, that comfort familiarity. And now let me start like taking you, <laughs> taking you to left field, you know, like, like it's okay. It's going to be okay. Which is what John kept selling me on, on this series is, is like, no, wait, just see where he goes with this because you are not going to know where you end up from where you started necessarily. Right. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I, I you know, I talk about this in the book too. So hopefully, cool. hopefully that comes across. Yeah. I mean, when you're reading the wheel of time, you can be in book 13, you can be in book halfway through book 14 and you don't know how it's going to end. So it's, it's, he keeps you on your toes the whole time. Uh, I, one thing I'll say is kind of funny is, you know, Tolkien is known as, uh, at least his original intent was to create this mythology of England. And yet Jordan is the one pulling so much with, from Arthurian legend. And, and Tolkien was over with like Calervo and, and Beowulf, which, uh, it's, it's just so funny how, how Jordan was sort of more on the English side. Although you point out, 
he's got all this stuff from Eastern religions. You've got, he's he's got things from all across the world, which is I think something that um, Tolkien was limited by his very strict adherence to Catholicism in the myths that he pulled from. I think he was comfortable pulling from a lot of myths, but maybe not all, especially those that are tied to religion, uh, modern religion at least. And it's really fascinating to see something like Jordan, where you have this cyclical nature of time. You have this thing that is far removed from the from the true creation to Armageddon arc that that Tolkien was painting. And for you to explore that was really great. Uh, thank you. It is it is part of the fun of it, you know. That at any given point, you know this this could be you know taking some of the battles, for instance. Right, is his source battle for this is something in Vietnam where where he was? Right, is it Alexander the Great? Is it Napoleon? Is it like because he did all of them? I mean, he did all those things, and 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 so at any given moment, you you really have to be on your toes. Uh, and it was kind of, of course, great fun for somebody like me, you know that 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 my puzzle is not confined as as, as you said with you know Tolkien. You have a fairly limited range of materials that you that that he's grabbing from right. not not said it's not an impressive range because it's extraordinary right um but it is this is just that and then so much like so much it's everything um anything and everything could be in there and and that and that's daunting uh because it is very uh yeah like like you know what where have i not looked <laughs> And and you're like, there's always somewhere else you can look. He he's his library. The last time they did a count of his library, and, it, and this was several years before, so he bought lots of books since. It was fifteen thousand volumes. Wow! Uh, like he had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of stuff, and and he was going through it. So um, so yeah, there's there's a lot that he used, and that's fun. It's cool. And speaking of stuff, you talk about the physical objects that he had that he was sort of looking at yeah. while he was writing. Uh, can you can you just give a brief talk about that? And of course, people should get the book if they want to hear the whole story. <laughs> um, yeah, I, he would use he would apply the same kind of idea of objects or, or of, of kind of stories behind stories or whatever. He would apply that to material culture as well. So the the example I give. For instance, of the sword, right? The, the idea there is that you take this sort of, you know, major sword type of of east and west, using those in scare quotes because there is no east and west. We're on a globe, uh, but uh, you know, people can typically think of it. So you got like a katana on one side, uh, and like a hand and half sword. Uh, I use I an example of the, the sword of the Black Prince, uh, mainly because it's a fairly famous sword and I happen to have a replica of it. So made taking pictures easy uh, to, you know, to take those two and, and he essentially like melds them into a single sword to essentially kind of create a sword that these swords could have come from. Right. Or alternatively lead to, right. Because, you know, time right. being a wheel forecast uh, that, that, that usage of material culture is different. Like, like Tolkien never really did anything like that. And, and Jordan's doing that. And, and even doing that with landscapes, the, the world itself has that connective tissue, you know, which again, I think is something a lot of people don't really 
necessarily think about, right? You know, this really is our world. So how is you know, like how's that how does that actually connect? We have the same thing in Tolkien, right? You know, Middle Earth is on Earth. Uh, and so, you know, what do you, what do you do with that? How do you, how do you map it? He's going to the, to the classics there. Why is he going to the classics? He's going to this one, this one, this one, this is why it's tracking out. This is why that maps on the geography. Like that's like, that's cool. Jordan was doing the same stuff. Yep. And, and again, I, I don't think a lot of people are kind of like listening to that subtrack or however you want, again, however you want to, you want to say that. So, uh, so yeah, he was doing this same process essentially with anything and everything. He was, he just really wanted to get this sense of depth by connecting to our world. And it, and it's, and it's fun, right? It's cool to have a character looking in a museum and seeing, you know, the, the, the symbol of a, of a luxury car, a hood ornament and being like, man, that's gaudy. Like, (laughs) What the, hell, what the hell is that piece of metal about it? Man, I can, I can sense the kind of superiority on that, you know, just from across the room. And I don't even know what it is. Right. And we're reading it and being like, Oh yeah, man, I hate people who drive that car too. You know? <laughs> uh, and of course that it's also interesting then to find out, you know, Jordan's neighbor drove that car. So, Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Shots <laughs> fired. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is, which is another kind of thing I tried to give people a flavor of that. He put things in, uh, like Easter eggs and also just, you know, you could almost just kind of see the amusement, right. Of, of, Hey, here's this. I wonder who's going to catch it. You know, <laughs> like who's going to see it. So right. yeah, fun stuff. And you point out that sort of makes it skirt the line between science fiction and fantasy when he starts putting Easter eggs in. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it, it's in the end, it's, it, it, it's in neither category. Cause it's in both categories. Right. right. It, you know, what category do you want it to be in? Obviously it's marketed as fantasy. Right. Uh, you know, people are like, well, there's, there's magic. It must be fantasy. Okay. Um, Star Wars. <laughs> right. You have yeah, Star yeah. Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? So, I mean, those are, those are essentially marketing decisions and, and marketing decisions have nothing to do with, with the work really. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. A couple of segue questions here and in, in back into, into TV realm. I'm curious if if you have any thoughts on season one, and then I really want to ask if you've been watching Andor, but <laughs> you don't have to answer that second one. <laughs> I have been watching Andor, um, and and it's really good. Um, yeah, it's really good, which is a, I'll say a relief given given some of what what has transpired with that property. Right. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I watched season one of Wheel of Time. There were a lot of things I absolutely loved about it. I, I love, I love that it's bringing people to, to the books, to this world. I think it's great for people to be aware of this property and, and hopefully be, be moved to, to read the books. Cause I think the books are amazing. Right. But even if not, like, even if you're just like, I'm just, a, I'm just a TV fan of the thing. Like, great. Again, like fan, like do your fandom, how you want to do it. Like, Rock and roll. So I think it's wonderful in that regard. The casting is marvelous. Um, I'm really, really pleased with the casting. I think they did a fantastic job. And, and, and like top to bottom, like even things where I was like, that's the reason that doesn't match my head cannon since I was 15. Like, who gives a dean? Like, I mean, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, did they do a good job? Yeah, they did a good job. Great. Yeah, you know, that's awesome. 
uh, and and uh, Rosamund Pike as Moraine, like she kills it. I think she's so good. And and I would and I'd be saying that even if on the audiobook of Origins she didn't like say nice things about me. Right. So right, yeah, she does an interview at the end of your audiobook, right? Yeah, yeah, she does an interview at the end of the audiobook and and says my name and uh <laughs> like it's legit it's legit to have rosamund pike say your name i'll, I'll just say that it's, <laughs> it's good it's good it's good it's nice uh let's just listen to that on loop um so yeah I, the casting is great i you know i wish i wish that the money that was behind rings of power was behind wheel of time <laughs> yeah because yeah. right i i think one of those properties is a lot stronger in terms of the writing and, uh, and much else. Uh, but the, uh, you know, I think, I think it would have been a, a good idea, but, uh, Jeff Bezos did not ask me. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it was really good. One of the things that we did on our, um, pre well, during, during our rings of power coverage and a little bit before too, was, you know, we talked about, uh, Tom Shippey, and something, you know, we're sort of roughly calling the shippy test, which is the whole, you know, does the medium change the message? That whole dialogue between are the changes that showrunners and directors have to do, do they keep you in the storyline? And were because of the medium, did you have to make certain uh, concessions and changes? And, you know, does that keep you within the core of the message or take you out of the core of the message? I think there was a famous lecture that Tom gave, uh, Tom, listen to me, uh, <laughs> uh, Professor Shippey, or whatever his official title is, um, gave that I listened to like over and over again. It was a really great analysis of that, that question of like, okay, well, here we have the first three Lord of the Ring movies. They had to do a lot of script changes and character changes to overlay things to make it work for a movie. And so we used that sort of test throughout the rings of power to see like rather than just go oh i hated this or oh that was really good like no let's actually rationalize this and use a little bit of a framework here and 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 um and apply some analysis as opposed to just emotional reaction um so when if you think of season 1 of wheel of time end result do you feel that amazon kept the core or did the changes that they had to do for television bend it and shape it so that it were further were deviating further away from uh, the changes i thought that they did make i thought were were by and large absolutely understandable um you know okay. there, there were there were some where i was like that's that's not i would have solved that problem. but but I absolutely recognize the problem that you're solving, right? You know, that, that, that you, right. you recognize okay. yeah. that this is the problem. We've got to solve it. They chose to do it one way. I think that I would have gone another way, but I get in, I get entirely what the problem is and yours is a solution, right? So fine. Um, yeah, there, there wasn't anything that I, that, that kicked me out in that, res- that way. Uh, it really, it felt a lot like the Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings, right? You know, I mean, yeah, is like they cut Tom Bombadil. Yeah, so would I, right? I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean you know, in, in terms of what Tolkien's doing, is Tom Bombadil important? Oh my God, yes. Tom Bombadil is absolutely essential. But it's the first cut. Like, but I'm, it's the first right. cut I'm making, you know? And 
Council of Elrond, right? Like, let's bring that down, right. you know? Right. I mean, you know, and the second cut I'm making uh, is, 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 is probably the most important thing in the books, in Lord of the Rings to me. Uh, like, the most important thing in those books, really, is, uh, is, is probably the Scouring the Shire. Cut number two. Like, yeah, sucks. But that's what we got to do to, like, kind of make this work as a film. So, so yeah, I, you know, I thought that, that this was absolutely the kind of equivalent of that in terms of, yeah, we're going to have to cut this. We're going to have to bring these things together. We're going to have to add this subplot to establish these things that, you know, we slow burned in, in the books and we can't slow burn it. Right. And we, you know, we, we got to do this. Great. I, I didn't have any problem with any of that. I, I was, I was really, uh, really pleased with all that. Uh, you know, when I've, you know, about the only thing that I've, I was like, oh, dang it. Is, uh, is is the same thing I'm always mad with in almost any of these films or TV shows, whatever, uh, which is the military stuff, right? And right. that's like, um, I'm a medieval military historian. Like, of course I'm going to be pissed if you got the trebuchet pointed the wrong way. Um, <laughs> oh, like, you know, or if, you know, if you're like, you know, Game of Thrones, like, you know, that's, did you, did you just literally throw away your light infantry? Did, did you just do that? Like, what? Do you, <laughs> <is it> anybody? <laughs> like, you know, I get that you want drama. I can give you drama, damn it. Like, and do it correctly. <laughs> right. Come on. So, so yeah, there's, there's that kind of stuff, you know, where you're like, that's not at all. Right. And why did you do that? But I'm also like, that's Hollywood. I mean, that's Hollywood, baby. That's how they always are. They don't get it right. Interestingly, when I, was you know trying to um uh watch that first season when i really started to get strong feels and like go oh wow i'm really starting to invest in these characters was um apparently a whole cloth created subplot about the death of the the warder yeah. and the Aes Sedai and that relationship. Yeah. And that blew me away. I was like, whoa, this is new. I have not seen this before. And that was, John told educated me, was like, that is all show creation yeah. as opposed to... And it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And, and again, that's the sort of thing where, you know, the, the connection between the Aes Sedai and the warders is, is slow burned in the books. Um, you, you kind of okay. get pieces of it you know, and you, and you come to a full understanding of it and, and yeah, they're like, no, man, we, you need to understand this. Let's create a subplot that does that. And God, it's, it's good. It's so good. Uh, yeah, it's probably my favorite episode of the entire series. Um, it does stuff with gender and grief and, and ritual. It was just beautiful. Like if, if there was one sort of piece of the whole thing and I don't, I don't know who it was in the writer's room, who kind of came up with that, but, like that would have been the thing that I'd just be like, just oh, like, just this is amazing, <laughs> like, like nailed, it. love it, you know? Um, yeah. And and again, I'm just I'm not a kind of purist or whatever that that you know. Yeah. Well, that's not in the books, so it doesn't belong. Like, like you know, take a hike, you know? Like this is it's it's what it needs to be. I mean, I say it as a purist, and then I am like, you know, the trebuchet should face the right way. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm I'm a purist about some things. Uh, well, that's, that's not okay. a wheel of time. Well, again, that's, that's not a wheel of time error. That, outside of outside of pointing the the weapon in the right direction to <laughs> do its job, um, that's really where I like to bring in this whole sort of shippy test yeah. thing, which is like, okay, I can have an emotional reaction to this. I can like it or dislike yeah. it. 
Um, but I can understand that the showrunner has a studio on their back who has finances on their back where they have production schedules, actor schedules. We had COVID throwing a huge uh, wrench into the works for a whole lot of productions. And so being able to sort of analyze that a little bit more carefully as opposed to just going, well, you know, I feel this way or right. I feel that way. Oh, your feelings are great. You know, those are your feelings. But let's let's think about it. Let's step it back a little bit and and think about what are the practical implications that they were dealing with to solve, as you say, these different problems. Yeah, yeah exactly. So before we let you go, Michael, yeah. what's next for you after after completing this monumental work? What's next? For me? So this month, uh, we're recording this here in uh, early to mid November. Mm-hmm. Um, this month, I've got a book due on the Battle of Agincourt. Again, I'm a medieval military historian, kind of like by trade. And um, I had a book come out in July on the Battle of Crecy. Did very well. It's doing very well. And this is kind of a follow-up to it. So it's a popular account of, uh, you know, for anybody, of uh, what, you know, what, what happened at Agincourt. Like, and what I think really happened, as opposed to, you know, these are the stories of Agincourt. This is the myth of Agincourt. And I'm like, mm, no, sorry. Here's, here's what I think happened. And here's why. I'm always very invested in in uh i don't want to i don't want to lecture on the end result of my work i want i want to bring people into how i got there into the journey of it show your work do do the show my work yeah yeah Yeah. he is completely transparent like and and look if i get something wrong like there's my work like show me show me where it was wrong um because i don't i don't as i always say i don't want to be right i want to get it so mm, uh, I like that so distinction. That, that, yeah, that so that uh, I mean, it's what we should all be after. I'm not sure we all are, but you know, no, there's a, a strong desire for humanity to, uh, for a human being to be in the right to avoid being wrong, right? Like that's right. A, it's a very and it leads to all kinds of problems. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I got the uh, the Battle of Agincourt book comes out uh, next year again. I mean, I got to finish it in a week or two weeks, whatever not done yet but it's getting there if my editor's listening uh and then a couple months after that I've, i'm going to be turning in a book on uh, the battles of thermopylae so that's looking at uh you know the most famous battle 480 uh, uh bc the, the spartans 300 etc there are way more than 300 spartans there uh, <laughs> and that is that's a mythology that certainly has taken root in uh certain parts of our american culture Oh God, yes. So I so I go through that my, myself and my my co-author uh, Michael would go through that. Um, like here's here's the reality, like on the ground, right? You know, reconstructing that from the ground up, and uh, and but it's really a biography of place. So called the, the book's called the Killing Ground. So we do the Battle of Thermopylae, four eighty. Well, that's like the second of I forget how, what our count is of the number of battles that happened there. Like there's a World War Two like Nazi tank battle that happens at Thermopylae. And so, you know, just saying like, look, here's this ground, you know, as we say, this, this may be the bloodiest ground on the planet. Wow. Given the number of battles that have happened over, over time, you know, why do they keep happening here? And, you know, what can we sort of glean from that about, uh, you know, military history, even uh, different, different succeeding generations of technologies and personnel fighting on the same ground. How do they change it? So got that book to do, and then after that, so that that's due in wow. January. Uh, after that, I've got a break. 
Okay. So I've been I've been putting out like three four books a year, and uh, man, that is a piece. That is a piece to be tired. reckoned with. You are the opposite of Tolkien, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tolkien was writing like crazy. Let it out. Uh, right, right, yeah. Holding it all down. Well, I'm glad that you're so, able uh, to send it to your editor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my editor will be glad to. Um, so, yeah, the next book that will come out, the next book that will come out will actually be uh, a novel, be the third book of the Seaborn series that comes out. Uh, that's fantasy. Uh, I think that comes out in the spring, so... But uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm doing stuff. You are. I'm doing stuff. There's plenty to, to read from you, no matter what you're looking for. If you're looking for medieval uh, studies, if you're looking for Wheel of Time commentary, if you're looking for fantasy, uh, it sounds like yeah. people can find uh, your work on your website, which we'll drop in the, uh, the description of the podcast. Uh, as well that. as, you know, if you, Google, if you Google Michael Livingston, you will find him. He's there, so... Uh, I like your yeah. uh, Twitter handle at medieval guy. <laughs> yeah. Medieval guy. Uh, yeah. medieval guy. Yeah. My students, you know, of course, you know, my, well, my cadets, right. Uh, uh, they find it, they find it so like, wow, you could, you're Googleable. <laughs> <laughs> Not really the accomplishment you think it is guys, but yeah, you can Google me and find all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you very much, Michael. Uh, this is Dr. Michael Livingston of the Citadel author of Origins of the Wheel of Time, the legends and mythologies that inspired Robert Jordan. And uh, thank you so much for your time, and we hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks for listening to that interview with Michael Livingston. We really had a great time talking with him. Quick reminder that as soon as Amazon gives us a release date, John and I will kick into gear and plan our coverage for Wheel of Time Season 2. We're really excited about the season and looking forward to it. We're just waiting on Amazon. Another quick couple of program reminders at the time of this recording. We've got White Lotus Episode 7 releasing next Wednesday. That'll be the final episode. And then a week later, this on Wednesday, we'll have our season wrap-up podcast for White Lotus Season 2. It's been a great season, super entertaining. It's like skiing. The more you get pointed downhill, the faster it goes. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Following the White Lotus Season 2, Episode 7 podcast, we're going to be having the first of our new podcasts covering the MCU. We're calling it the MC Universe. I'm going to be talking to my buddy Jean, not John, about sort of a meta context of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're going to talk about some of the broader themes, some of the different characters. We're looking at it from a sort of a higher altitude down, sort of a 10,000-foot view of what's going on in the MCU. After that, we'll have the White Lotus season wrap. The week of Christmas, we have three podcasts coming out. We've got our second breakfast. We're going to release that on Christmas Day as a special bonus to everyone. Normally, that's a Patreon exclusive, but we're going to make that available for everyone as a, as a nice little gift. And then on December 28th, we'll have the next installment in our uh, covering of the Star Wars franchise. John and I are going to be talking about Tales of the Jedi. We're going to be picking up any last bits of Andor feedback. So if you still have some thoughts and uh, feelings, send those in right away so we can get those covered in the uh, that podcast. And then we're going to be talking about our general ideas about the Star Wars franchise as it is. I've been watching The Bad Batch. John has finished Rebels and is getting into some more of the animated stuff. 
So we're really getting ourselves geared up for The Mandalorian, which will be coming back in March. And then on December 31st, we're going to have the second episode in our Silmarillion Stories series. We're going to be covering the Valenquenta. So if you're a Tolkien fan, grab your books, uh, read that next chapter. We're going to be talking with noted Tolkien scholar, Marilyn Arpaquila. Uh, if you might remember, she's been on a bunch of our podcasts when we were covering the Rings of Power. We're excited to have her back. We had her on our Andor season wrap. So she's coming in to help us talk uh, through the Valenquenta. All right, we've got lots going on more. We've got some plans in January, and we'll update you when we have those. Thanks for listening. The Wheel of Time podcast is produced by the Lorehounds and published by Bald Move. You can send questions and feedback to WOT at thelorehounds.com. You can get ad-free and early versions of these episodes at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>